Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. It's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Uh, sitting around the table again is uh, Tim Michelangeli, Scott Slater, Dave Arnold, Spencer Snow, and we are here to continue our series through the Baptist Faith and Message um, as we walk through it. Now, on my paper, it says this, this is episode number 92. Episode number 92. Can anybody name a professional athlete who wore number 92? Reggie White. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh. Corey Timboom? <laughs> I, <was thinking, laughs> I was thinking hockey, but... Gretzky was 99, so I was thinking yeah, Gretzky yeah. was 99. That's not going to work. But 92 was right. You're right. It was the Minister of Defense mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. yeah. Scott, do you, know, do you know Reggie White? I mean, Jurassic Park came out in 93, I think. Do you know who Reggie White is? No. Okay. He's a, he's a strong believer. Yeah. He? Yeah. He said he was. Yeah. That's why he was called the Minister of Defense. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, can have, it can have double Seriously. Meaning, right? <laughs> It can mean <laughs> Yeah. Scott's laughing about it. <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest defensive ends of all yeah. time. Yeah. 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 He played in the USFL. Eagles, Packers. Yeah, played with the yeah. Eagles. The, I remember mm-hmm. the Packers, yeah. Played with the Packers. And then at the very end, came out of retirement real quick, I think, and played for the Panthers for like a year. Really? Yeah. Is yeah. He, he's a Hall of Famer, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Reggie White. So, all right. So, there you go. A um, little trivia. <clears throat> So this week we're talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. What does the Baptist faith and message teach about baptism and the Lord's Supper? We've talked about, uh, walk through the Baptist faith and message. We've talked about who God is, uh, man's problem, who we are, uh, the salvation that's come to us in Christ. We've talked about the church. And now flowing out of that now, we're talking about the uh, ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So just kind of, uh, I'll open up real quick by reading some of the the article here. I might just read the whole thing because it's fairly short, actually, about uh, what baptism and the Lord's Supper is and or are. Um, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith and the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby believers of the church, or by members of the church, excuse me, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. So flowing out of what the church is um, and what we believe about the church now, we have uh, an understanding of what these two ordinances are and how they function in the life of a church and in in the life of of, uh, a believer. So real quick, one question I want to ask is this. Why does this matter? Does it matter? uh, Why? 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 Why talk about these kinds of things? Because Christians divide uh, over these matters a lot when it comes to the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Doesn't isn't it enough just simply to love the Lord Jesus? Um, why should we care about getting these right? And what what happens maybe if we don't get these two uh, ordinances right? What would happen? And what would be? What's the big deal? Well, I would say, well, first of all, we want, we want to do our best to get things right 
what the Bible says, right? So people are striving to do that. Um, there is a divide amongst Christians when it comes to baptism and Lord's Supper, for sure. But I think we would all agree in this room that there are some who take it too far to where we would say, not only are we divided, like we are separate mm-hmm. completely. Like as if you're not a Christian. You're not an Orthodox you... Christian because of this, right? We, right. Would, we, would, we would struggle with with that with them and so we want to get that get that right in that in that sense it's like what what is baptism so i think the sticky thing really would be there are some who believe baptism to be an act of salvation it is what saves you have to be baptized to be to be saved and we would push back pretty strongly against against those those denominations who who feel that way um and maybe even the same with the Lord's Supper. You know, what the Roman Catholic Church says with the Lord's Supper, we would not agree mm-hmm. with what their views mm-hmm. are of the Lord's Supper. Um, <clears throat> so it does get technical, though, in its language. Uh, the word grace like will come up a lot. Like, when I receive the bread, when I partake of the bread and I partake of the juice, am I receiving grace? Right? It's like okay, we got to talk about this. What does he? What do you mean by that? Right. Mm-hmm. So there are some really technical stuff uh, within that, but it, it becomes important, I think, because of are you a Orthodox Christian or or not, and in, in your views of this here. Is that where you were? Yeah, yeah. Leading? No, I think it's helpful. I think um, I think sometimes we can we we have the the balance of placing too much emphasis on the these two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, or we have the other error of not placing any emphasis mm-hmm. on them. Yeah. Um, so we can go one way or the other mm-hmm. on this. And so we want to try to just simply say what the Bible says, give it the importance the Bible does, but also realize the the Bible also um, places also limitations mm-hmm. on these ordinances as um, symbolic, um, you know, sometimes in the past people would call means of grace. They're means to encourage us, to edify believers, um, and to strengthen us. Um, but whenever we make them into something else, mm-hmm. they're also that visual. becomes a danger. They're well, also that's the, visual. And that's the point, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, Tangible. you'll hear people say, I'm a visual learner. I wish you would have, like, right. slides and all these things and, right. and whatever. But... Um, these are the visual things God has given us. Good Baptism, point. Lord's Supper, yeah. for those visual learners to right. see what's happening and right. what's taking place. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think you want to say I think that we we also, you know, depending on where you come from, there's a lot of baggage, potential baggage when it comes to baptism and Lord's Supper and, you know, it's it's kind of like you said Pastor Tim, you know, telling people, okay, this is what the Bible says. You know, that was big for me coming out of a Roman Catholic background, which teaches, you know, the infusion of grace through baptism. That's why right. infants baptized and you're infused with grace, and that's why you have to keep up with penance mm-hmm. and confession and all that. And then after I got saved, it was probably a couple of years. I was 20, actually, and a pastor sat down with me because I was kind of wrestling. I'm like, well, I was baptized as an infant. You know, I, what's what's the scriptures teach about this, you know? And he walked me through passages, you know, Romans 6 and so forth, really helped me understand 
the significance of baptism as a as an ordinance, as this is, you know, even Jesus himself being immersed, you know, baptized, baptismo, the idea of immersion. And uh, that was very helpful. So some people, depending on where they come from, have to be kind of unlearn some things so they can learn or relearn, if you will, what it truly means, Mm -hmm. what what the scriptures teach. And so that was helpful for me. Sure. I was just going to say it's important because it was, we've been commanded to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we've, is it's part of the mission of the church. Great commission. It's in the Great Commission to baptize. And so if that's our church's mission, we better be clear about what, what it is and how we do it mm-hmm. um, because we want to be faithful to what Christ has actually called us to do. And so, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's one reason why it's important. Mm-hmm. So another quick question about generally before we go into specifics. Some, uh, like, you know, uh, the Roman Catholic Church believes there are seven sacraments, yeah. right? So how do we, um, man, Scott, you're happening? tightening that up over there. I hope he's tightening something up or his coffee's kicking in. Yeah, <laughs> man. Oh, that's already happened this morning. Don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, edit, edit. So. <laughs> hey, you brought so, it up. Yeah. All right. You all took right. it too far. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Come on, leader, lead. Yeah, <laughs> trying to keep it going here. Um, so, yeah, back on track. Um, so when we think about right, because I'm just saying. Okay, what are like? So I'm just name, saying. Can you so, name their seven off the top of your head? Baptism, baptism the mass, marriage, con- marriage holy orders, uh, last rites, penance, penance, yeah, and is confirmation or, one of them? I thought alms to the poor. Maybe alms yeah, is, I think yeah. Alms to the poor. Um, so the big difference, right? I just think it's helpful is the, the difference is, is um, we would say that as far as whenever we come to ceremonies, um, is the baptism and Lord's Supper, the, the Protestant understanding was, and this is where Lutherans would agree, and uh, you know, all sorts of Protestants would say only those things that Jesus Christ himself instituted in Scripture are ordinances or sacraments depending on what term you want to use um so we only have baptism and the lord's supper that fall under those that category we don't include all those other ceremonies um i have their seven baptism confirmation marriage eucharist sacrament of penance anointing of the sick confession okay i just wanted to get it right that's good that's good thank you for doing that um so anyway, I just think it's very important for us to be reminded of the reason why we limit this is because we believe scripture defines mm-hmm. our worship. Mm-hmm. That's part of the second commandment mm-hmm. um, is the first commandment is about who you worship. The second one is that God gets to decide how you worship him. Right. And so that's why uh, we, as at least in the past, Baptists held to that principle pretty hardcore um, about the second commandment. And, um, and so what happens is, is whenever we let scripture itself determine God determined through scripture what his worship is going to look like. We limit these uh, symbolic um, ordinances because mm-hmm. the word ordinance is tricky because sometimes Baptists in the past would, would use the idea of an ordinance as relating to everything God ordains. Mm-hmm. So like it could be referring, I think I've even got a thing on my, my Bible software, a book where a guy says the ordinances include gathering for church, um, mm-hmm. preaching. Those were all ordinances, but these were sub ordinances in a sense of, um, they're symbolic ceremonies that we do on top of that God's given to the church. 
So anyway, that's just a little thing. So let's talk about baptism. First of all, it says here, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in the water, in water, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first of all, why immersion? Why is that a big deal? Is that a big deal? What does yeah, the word immersion mean? I mean, I think it's what we believe the yeah. to baptize in the original is what yeah. it means. Original Greek, yeah. It's yeah. Baptismal. To literally go under, to be submerged is the mm-hmm. idea. I think it was first used. I did, I did some research on this a while back. Uh, it was first used to like dip pickles, to like dip them in the vinegar, like a, a, a Greek, mm. uh, I don't know, he was like a doctor or whatever. Right. And he was sp- experimenting with how things change, you know, and, and transform. And he was dipping pickles in the vinegar to see how it would affect mm. the, he was immersing it. And also the vinegar (laughs) saturates and permeates the the whole thing, right? Right. It also can be used like as a dyeing term, right? So the dye Mm -hmm. doesn't simply, it doesn't simply mean the the rag goes in and it gets dyed, but it is now changed by the color that it was put into. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So there's also this, this element of transformation Transformation, in a sense Mm -hmm. um, as well. So I was baptizing this guy. I was like, he was like, you're kind of like a pickle. And he, <laughs> that's what you're doing right now. He's like, oh, okay. As long as it's not bread and butter pickles, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I don't right, like bread and butter pickles. Yeah, you, you neither, Scott. Yeah. They're not the best. They're not the best. So immersion is a distinctive Baptist doctrine, um, right? I mean, uh, so that's, that's something distinctive about the Baptist tradition that we emphasize the mode. Other traditions will allow alternative modes mm-hmm. alongside this. But the Baptist tradition has emphasized this as the proper mode mm-hmm. of baptism. Yeah, and I think Colossians 2.12 would be part of that, having been buried with him in baptism. And so we picture that uh, with uh, how we baptize, right? You go all the way under, you're buried, raised up into a new life, cleansed, whatever, you know. Right, so right. That, again, that visual, mm-hmm. that visual picture of what's right, happening. of being all in. Yeah, you're all in. <laughs> I I once heard a missionary tell a story. They were like in Peru or something like that where the, you know, they were baptizing people and the women like were wearing their wool uh, skirts or, or dresses that they did. And it just mm. soaked up water. Mm. But they, where they were up in the mountains, there wasn't a ton of water. So they had to dig a ditch basically to fit and fill it with water. Mm. And by the time they got to the end of baptizing all these new believers, the women's skirts had soaked up all the water. So the last person, he was like, they were having to like shove them down into the mud to get them fully covered. Oh by my the water. God! Goodness. I know. <laughs> it was just so funny. Oh wow! It's just like <laughs> super committed to the yeah. mud. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were all in for sure. Get under there! Get under there! So funny. Oh my! Well, I'm thankful we don't have that. We've got Lake Erie, so. Um, we could throw you in there. Um, yeah. <clears throat> worse comes to worse. So immersion is the mode, but the subject is believers. This is another thing that would separate the Baptist tradition from a lot of other traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so this means obviously that we would not baptize an infant or um, anybody who uh, did not profess saving faith in Jesus Christ. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, um, historically up until like the beginning of the 20th century, the average age of a person to be baptized in a Baptist church was 18. Right. Right. It was regarded as almost, um, you know, Scott, you were, you're teaching that class actually, uh, in Sunday school. And you mentioned one of the things you talked about was the uh, rite of passage to adulthood. And I, what came to my mind was actually in a lot of ways, baptism functioned that way in Baptist churches mm-hmm. is that was a, 
a, almost a rite of passage to adulthood from saying, okay, you've been taught by the church, you've been you know, tutored and, and hopefully brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But now here's the passage into full-fledged membership in the church. Um, so anyway, that, that came to mind when you were teaching that, that family discipleship class. But I mean, again, like in this study book, they have Romans 6, 4, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that justice Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father. So we too may walk in a new way of life. <clears throat> and we would just say in interpreting that passage, the only way that someone could do this is if they're a believer, if they understand what's happening, what's going on, right? To be buried in his death, raised to life, you have to understand that you can't just force people into that, right? Because there has to be also a heart. We, we see that your heart has to be part of salvation uh, in this. So you couldn't just like trick people, you know, in into this and be like, okay, you're good now, actually, go go away. Um, that's not That's not part of it, but... This is the you know some of the passages that right. we would have to back this is like you, they need to know what they're doing. It seems in scripture yeah. when they're being baptized well, or, I, or fill up with the. And unit. I think it goes back to the second commandment though too, because um, if you read some of the old Baptists, whenever they were talking about, well, why don't we baptize infants? Um, one of the reasons was is because that's not found in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. It was the second commandment again. That's really, I mean, actually, right. Let me pull this around here. Do I have it with me? What? I had a book with me. There it is. This is an old book called An Orthodox Catechism that was put out by an old Baptist from the 1600s. And he talks about... Uh, this one of the questions what's, is what's their name? Hercules Collins. Hercules. That's, that's, an awesome name. Hercules. that's cool. That's an awesome name, that's by the way. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine him walking around with that name? I know like, he oh. was a stud, man. Yeah, Hercules Collins, and so it's called an Orthodox Catechism. He just basically stole another catechism and baptized it. There you go. There you that's go. pretty um, much what we do. That's what we do <laughs> throughout all of history. That's what Baptists do. So it. one of the things he's got here is a question seventy: Are infants to be baptized? And he says, none by no means, for we. We have neither precept nor example for that practice in all the book of God. Right. And then the next question is, do the scriptures anywhere expressly forbid the baptism of infants? And he says, it is sufficient that the divine oracle commands the baptizing of believers, unless we will make ourselves wiser than what is written. Nadab and Abihu were not forbidden to offer strange fire, yet for so doing they incurred God's wrath because they were commanded to take fire from the altar. So that's using the example from Leviticus 10 yeah. uh, with, with Nadab and Abihu, because the point is you only do what God commands. And that's the, that was the old mm-hmm. way in which they did that. It was following the second commandment. We only do what God commands. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we only baptize believers because we only have that by example or precept or by good and necessary consequence mm-hmm. in Scripture is the baptizing of believers. Mm-hmm. So it was actually a rigid application right. of the second commandment mm-hmm. that led Baptists to embrace that. Um, so it's just another good reminder, too, of the Ten Commandments in our lives and how we interpret Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, secondly, so we talked about we only baptize believers. Water. Is water symbolic of anything? Purification, cleansing. Yeah, right. And plus, even in the, cre- the creation account, the Spirit of God hovered over, yeah. you know, the waters. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's idea of life-giving, mm-hmm. you know, and water in, the, in Israel in the Middle East was scarce. And so that was significant, too, mm. in the sense of, like, God gives water. He got he brought, you know, the rock, from the rock, right. water came and, and immersed the Israelites or refreshed mm-hmm. them. I think sometimes, and this is interesting, I don't know, it seems to me that growing up as a, a lifelong Baptist, the water was somewhat not even talked about. The immersion was emphasized, mm. 
the mode, but not the thing you're actually put into. <laughs> Be immersed in Skittles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it was almost like the dunking part was important, but the thing that you were dunked into, we almost downplayed the water element. I don't think we had that here so much. Remember the pastor's always standing in the water and being like, "Here is water." You know what hinders you from being baptized today? Yeah. And the water was always brought up. And I just, I guess, in my mind, I have just recollections of that right. and mm-hmm. teaching about like the cleansing. Mm-hmm. You know, the water is like this picture of what mm-hmm. Christ has done in your life of cleansing you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like again, I'll go back to this old Hercules Collins thing. He says here, "How are you admonished and assured in baptism that you are a partaker of the only sacrifice of Christ?" And he says this because Christ commanded the outward washing of water, joining this promise to it that I am no less assuredly washed by his blood and spirit from all uncleanness of my soul, that is from all my sins, than I am washed outwardly from the filthiness of the body with water. So there's a connection of the the meaning of the water itself, along with the washing and cleansing of the soul that happens by the blood of Christ and the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're joined together in in a symbolic um, meaning. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think that's that's just an important thing to, yeah. to remind ourselves of. It's interesting that in like the later 1700s, when a guy named Andrew Fuller was alive, uh, back then Baptists were often criticized for being baptized and immersed in water because in that day in, in England and where he lived, people did not really immerse themselves in water at any point. Mm-hmm. It was considered something that was un, like that at that culture. We're talking about biblical culture. Mm-hmm. But in their culture, it was seen as dirty to do that because water wasn't like it's where like you would get sick. People wouldn't bathe very often. And so the idea of a person actually going into a river Mm. or a stream and completely immersing themselves in water was kind of seen as the opposite Mm. in those days. Mm. And it was I I remember learning about that and I thought it was interesting because Mm -hmm. that's the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches that it is symbolically. uh, Right. You are cleansed in water. Uh, right. Yeah. It reminds me of the Old Testament baptism in a sense. It wasn't really a baptism, but it was in a sense. It was whenever, um, what was his name? The the, the general in 2 Kings 5, um, oh, Naaman, yeah. mm-hmm. right? He's told to go wash himself yeah. seven times in the Jordan River. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his skin is made like a little child. Yeah. And his um, complaint is that, like, it's the Jordan River. It's right. dirty. There's better water to go to. Right. Yeah. 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 But you go, and, and the point is, that's really in a sense the what... what our Christian baptism is partially symbolic of is that that being made new again, mm-hmm. that healing, that cleansing nature of water. Um, and it's in the triune name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, which we do because the name of God is put on you. So that's those are all co- key component elements to what makes baptism. Uh, baptism is in the name with water, a believer by immersion. So quickly, as we talk about baptism, it, it symbolizes our faith in Christ, uh, the believer's death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. So really, um, in a sense overall, I think about it as it's a symbolic meaning of testifying. It preaches to us of union with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, mm-hmm. in our complete union uh, with him. Anything it's a else? Good, it's a good picture, too, of... Uh, what it means to be a living sacrifice, right? Like we've died to self. Now we raise to walk in a newness of life with Christ, which is a living sacrifice. I'm dead to all these old ways. I'm dead to the ways of the world and these things. I don't want that to be a part of my life. I want to be focused on Mm -hmm. him and what he has for me and what I should be doing and honoring him. Um, And so it's just that good picture uh, again that we, that we see visibly with our eyes 
of what's happening and what's taking place. There. It's it's a visible sermon yeah. to us yeah. of the yeah. Word of God. And um, also, it's something we're supposed to live out every day, live out of the power of what baptism symbolizes. Uh, Luther has this thing where he talks about how we're to daily have the old Adam drowned hmm. and the new Adam brought up, you know, in Christ. And so um, I've heard it said as well, you know, sometimes we use the phrase, I was baptized back then. But actually, the his- I re- heard one guy say that the historic way to think about it is, I am baptized. To always remind yourself, like so, for instance, a it's like the reality, right? It's not like the it's yeah. like the wedding ring, right? It wasn't the symbol. The, the importance isn't simply that. Yeah, she gave this to me back then, but I still have it on my finger, mm-hmm. and it's a daily reminder to me of who I am and His promises to me, um, and His vows to me, and then my response that I'm called daily to have this response of giving myself to Him every day. Yeah, there's a verse that I want to read just to kind of give us. Because it might be a verse that I think people in our church have a question about. Mm-hmm. Um, in First Peter chapter 3, I'll start in verse 18. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I guess just like how do we, I mean, a person who maybe hadn't listened to the rest of this podcast or whatever about what we were saying about the symbolic nature of that, just a Christian that is trying to read their Bible faithfully they come to a verse like that and they say baptism which corresponds to this now saves you i mean how how do we explain this verse to people to understand because what we've been saying is that you're not saved by your baptism your baptism is a symbol of something else that's already happened um, but how, how do we understand that verse in the context of that, I think first you have to tell them you can't just take one passage. You got to look at all the other ones as well that have to do with baptism. And so we see, like, you know, Peter, repent, believe, and be baptized, and then be baptized, right? We see that there. So how do then these correlate? Would be the first step of what you have to have to do in studying, right, that passage and, and explaining and explaining what it means. That would be that'd be step one. Would be my first thing to be said. Anybody else? I would say, I think, too, um, in, in, in baptism, just like with the Lord's Supper, there are two things. There's the element. There's what there's the physical side of it, right, with the water and the ceremony and everything. But there's what it testifies to, mm-hmm. which is Christ and the Holy Spirit. So we are saved by what we're not saved by the physical water itself, but we are saved by what it points, what it, what it symbolizes, which is Jesus Christ given by the father and being sanctified now by the spirit. We are saved, we are saved by what it symbolizes. And, And explicitly Peter himself says baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you. How does it save you? How does it save us, Peter? Not as a removal of dirt from the body. So he's saying explicitly, it's not by means of the physical water that removes the dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. You see in baptism, I think even when Jesus is baptized, maybe in Luke's gospel, he's baptizing, he's being baptized in his baptism, but he's also listed as praying. 
And also there's a, there's also a similar correspondence in like Matthew's gospel where you see people were baptized and what was accompanying that was confessing their sins. Mm. Additionally, when Paul is baptized in Acts, it says you need to wash away your sins calling on his name. So there is this element of connection between baptism and prayer perhaps as well. And that's what Peter seems to be emphasizing here is it is the appeal for a good conscience to to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So yeah. it's actually this calling upon the name of the Lord within the, the visible ceremony itself. So I think he's pointing to what is signified, which is Christ and his salvation by which we're saved. And Peter here seems to be taking pains to emphasize it's not by simply the external water. The blood of Christ alone can cleanse us from sin. But Similarly, the water is a confirmation and a reminder to us of the great promises that have been given to us in Jesus. So it's, it's actually meant to confirm, not to, um, the, word, the word of God preached is what kindles saving faith in us. And it's the word of God in baptism in the Lord's Supper is meant to confirm the faith that should be kindled by the word of God preached and read. Yeah, we would appeal to like the thief on the cross who obviously wasn't baptized um, but yet Jesus tells him very plain, clearly, you will be with me in paradise today. Um, and so I think what this points to, though, is what sometimes, oddly enough, Baptists uh, mess up, is we, I don't mean a pun here, we water down baptism and the importance of it uh, to where we do say, hey, baptism doesn't save you. And so people then don't get baptized. And that's a problem. Because everywhere in Scripture, we see salvation coupled with baptism. I mean, the thief on the cross, while we can point to him and say, look, he wasn't baptized, but he was still a Christian. That was odd. Well, that, that, and he, the Great Commission hadn't been given yeah, yet either, I mean. right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so. it was like, but that's a, it's just a very odd thing. We don't see that in other places. Everywhere else, whenever we see salvation, repentance, forgiveness, we see baptize, being baptized being coupled with it. Mm-hmm. Baptism being coupled with it. And... I think that's things people need to know, right? Is if you have trusted in Christ, then you need to be baptized. The Bible's very clear on this. And and it's, it's it is a hard balance because as Baptists we believe you shouldn't be baptized unless you have trusted in Christ. And so we want to take that seriously. We want to make sure that people understand what you're doing here in this baptism. But we also don't want to be so rigid and strict that we keep people out of it and scare them away from it when actually they are Christians. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so there's a, a, a balance there that needs to be thought through. So like a child, you know, uh, I believe a child can be saved, that they can trust in Christ. They can believe in him. It, it might be a, a faith that isn't super educated, but it's a faith. Nonetheless, they've trusted in Jesus. And so I would be hesitant to say, well, you shouldn't be baptized. You're not old enough yet. You don't get it all. It's like, right? really? Like, I think we, that's where I know we as pastors, we try to lean on parents and stuff with those decisions and, and we want them to be comfortable so that they can talk with their kid about it. Um, but that, that's something, you know, that I, I wonder even in our church now, like we haven't seen a lot of baptisms and maybe we're not pushing it enough. Um, but I have to believe that God is doing things in people's lives through the preaching of his word, through singing songs that honor him. Um, and I want to believe that there are people being being saved or, you know, whatever. And if that's you listening to this, you should be baptized. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and it's very easy to be baptized here. We turn the water on and we're not going to shove you in the mud and get you, try to get you wet. You know, (laughs) we, we have a, we have a baptistry that we can turn on. It can be filled real quick, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're just so coupled together. And and I don't want us to, to minimize the importance of baptism and what we, what we see there. And maybe, maybe we are guilty of that some, and we need to do a better job with that. But, uh, but there is that balance again of like, I'm not a big fan of like at the end of service, I I personally wouldn't be comfortable probably with like, all right, who wants to be baptized now? Come on. Everybody who wants right. to be baptized, come there. There is to me some like, have you been baptized before? Well, why are you, get, why, you don't mm-hmm. need it again. You know, we right. don't see the two times being baptized and you know, why are you getting baptized? This isn't saving you. You know, are mm-hmm. you saying you, yeah. I think there's some work there that needs to be done. Yeah. And I know? think what you're getting at, or at least we're a very simple road from what you just said is that we often one of the other mistakes i think we make is that we make baptism purely a personal thing right yeah and it's not just a personal mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. it is something that the entire church is involved in witnessing right and seeing yeah. this right this isn't which is why like we've said before it's like going somewhere just with you and your family and being baptized in some body of water or a bathtub or whatever that we wouldn't mm-hmm. say that you're doing something that's you know, God's going to judge you for, but we are, I think we would say it's like, you're not performing this in a biblical manner that we're commanded to in scripture. Yeah. Um, I've tried to think through this before and study it. Maybe you guys have too, of like, who can baptize somebody? I, I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's just relegated to pastors having to be the ones to do that, but I do think it, I do think it needs to be in the setting of the church. Like you said, yeah. you know, like as a dad, I couldn't just say, I know I'm a pastor, but let's say I wasn't. All right. You know, oh, son, you're baptized. Let's go to the pool. Okay. You're baptized. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the right way to do it. Like you said, because it's not just our story. It's what God has done for us, which which is leading to what we're going to talk about a little more about baptism. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's not just that you're being baptized as a symbol of what's happened to you, but it's what are you being baptized into? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're being baptized into Christ mm-hmm. and into his body, into the membership of a mm-hmm. church. Right. Um, and so it's like it's it's appropriate to be baptized in the presence mm-hmm. of those that you are going to yeah. be in fellowship with. And again, there are I think people start to think about like outliers. Okay. And there's outlier situations I think that we can address. Like sure. the thief on the cross. Right. Okay, yeah. that's kind of an outlier thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there might be some within a local body that's an outlier. And it's like, all right, right. let's think through this. Right. You know, like I have seen it done here. We wheeled a guy into the baptistry. It was a lot of work, and it got done, and it was right. But there's probably times where that's not doable. Mm-hmm. The person can't be wheeled into a baptistry. Right. Well, what are we going to do? They're safe, and they're wanting to be baptized. How are we going right. to handle this? Right. You know, and I think those are things that then leadership has to think through, and the church yeah. body right. needs to think through to, to, to do it. But, again, yeah, yeah, what Scott was saying is right. Like, I, I'm with him. I, I think it's – Well, I think, too, part of the thing is, and this is where – maybe I I might be alone, but I I think one of the, this is where I would think uh, Baptists sometimes have erred a little bit is when we have made baptism. And I know this kind of goes against the Baptist faith, the message a little bit, but the emphasizing the act of obedience aspect of it, because what that does is it makes baptism something primarily that I am doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But baptism is primarily 
a something that God is telling me about. Mm-hmm. It's a it's actually a sermon, mm-hmm. and so that's why it's beneficial for it to be in a church because it's actually a visible sermon. Whenever someone is baptized up there, it's actually not only preaching. If it's simply about that person's act of obedience, then I'm watching that person obey. Right. But if it's primarily about what God is telling me about what He's done for sinners in Jesus Christ then I'm being reminded of the gospel that God's done. And it's not primarily about the person. Now, I do think there is an aspect of it that where we are now called to walk in newness of life in response to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that recalls me to walk in newness of life again. But the primary thing is not what I am doing, but what God has done and is saying at that moment. And that's why... Mm If at all possible, it should be done in a church service. But there is an act of obedience in the sense of we are told to be baptized. We should do it. You should obey that. receive baptism. Yeah, and and like for us, where we live, that's an easy thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't face any scrutiny for getting baptized. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are other countries, like I've, I've heard, often heard said, and Dave, maybe you know this better than me, like in the Muslim country, you can go home and tell them I've accepted Christ. And they're not going to like that. Sure. But the moment you get baptized, you're gone. Right. That's when you are out because to them, that's like right. the, the sure. seal. And so, it seals the deal. so this act <clears throat> yeah. of obedience, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? In yeah. terms of that, of like, they could be risking their life in, in, right. in going into the baptistry or to be sure. baptized. Well, I mean, I mean, and, and it's it's this the, the right. parallel is with circumcision yeah. in the yeah. Old Testament. Right. Yeah. God says that there is the symbolism, or in the sense in which God was told them, "You need to be circumcised." But the sign of circumcision wasn't primarily about right. their commitment to the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was about God's commitment to them. Absolutely. This is me branding you as my Coming. people. Sure, sure. I'm writing my name, and I think. That is something that we we could do better to emphasize as in the Baptist tradition more broadly, and I think that may have been done in the past more so than it was than it is uh, in the past couple hundred years. We've kind of slowly drifted away more and more to make it more about ourselves than we have about yeah, the, the objective mm-hmm. gospel because mm-hmm. it's a sermon, and the sermon the gospel is not a message primarily about my response, but it's primarily about what God's done mm-hmm. and then calls forth a response mm-hmm. right. from me. And I just think there's an emphasis. Mm-hmm. It's not either or it's, it's an emphasis I mm-hmm. think that sometimes can be lacking. But so baptism though is we're going to, this will transition us now. It is a prerequisite to church membership and to the Lord's supper. So baptism is in a sense, the initiating ordinance once for all, you come in through baptism into a local church fellowship mm-hmm. um, and to church membership and then after that, also, the Lord's Supper is a sign of ongoing abiding within Christ. Mm-hmm. That it's a regular, it's a rep, it's repeated. Um, yeah, I've heard it said like the baptism is the wedding, the right. Lord's Supper is the anniversary yeah. all the time. Yeah. That yeah. reminds you, you kind of mentioned the wedding ring thing yeah. earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said that way. And yeah, and like oftentimes in our services, and I said, I was telling you guys, maybe we got to do a better job at this. But, you know, I, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, I usually say, if you are a Christian here today, then uh, you can feel free to partake of this Lord's Supper with us. If you're not, just let it pass. You know, it doesn't mean anything to you, so why would you partake of it? Mm-hmm. Um, but within the Baptist life, that includes baptism. You know, it's like we do say, you, yes, say, but you should also be baptized so that you're a member of the church. And that's who this Lord's Supper is for, mm-hmm. is for those who have followed him. Because, again, it, it's it's so connected scripturally of salvation and the baptism salvation yes. that you yeah. shouldn't have all these people who have salvation and not baptism running around you know? And so, uh, again, it's a, a point of emphasis that maybe we need to make better here. Uh, maybe I need to say that 
a little better. Uh, well, and I think that's not simply a Baptist thing. That's right. that's that's yeah. All, all I mean, Catholics all, right. believe that. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody yeah. has the idea that baptism is, in a sense, the entryway mm-hmm. into the fellowship of the church, right. and then the Lord's Supper is the abiding, ongoing, yeah. ongoing regular. Mm-hmm. A repetition of going on. Mm-hmm. So it is a, is also a symbolic act. So in other words, it's not like we, we would disagree with those who would say that it, it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, right? The bread and the cup don't yeah. literally become that they are, they are, it is the bread and the cup, but it's connected to a meaning that is real. Yeah. And it seems as if when scripture talks about the Lord's supper, there's something special with it yeah. that we can't deny. <clears throat> yep. You know, and I don't know if it, if if we always say it well. You know, right. we would. Yeah, I don't think I'm chewing on Jesus's flesh. I don't think this has become his flesh. I don't think I'm drinking his blood. Even though there there are denominations that say that, right? Um, but I do think we dine when we do that. We are dining with Christ. Yeah, and we have to understand that. Mm-hmm. When I'm at home eating our chicken and whatever. I'm not dining with Christ, right? Now, some would say, but you're a Christian, so don't you have Christ? Yes, okay, yes, true, what you're saying. But there's something different here. This isn't a normal meal. Mm -hmm. This isn't like us gathering as a church and having a potluck. This is something that God has called us to do to remember what he has done for us. And Scripture is very clear that we do this with Christ, and so he is present with us. He is there. And so there is a specialness to it that I think, you know, you had mentioned like the water part mm-hmm. had been watered down. For me, I feel the Lord's Supper had always kind of been watered yeah. down. And you know, there's actually been a new book written. I've not gotten it yet. Michael Haken, who teaches at Southern uh-huh. Seminary, has recently written a book called, uh, I forget what it's titled. It's like Our Beloved Stands in the Midst of Us or something like that. And it's about recovering this I'm going to use the phrase, I don't know, well, maybe I shouldn't use that word, but this d- deeper understanding of what as what you're talking about, right, yeah. that used to, and it's all about the Baptist life in the past, how we used to have a stronger understanding of Christ's spiritual presence mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, I and mean, so I don't, I think I don't, that's, I don't I think say that, that to mean like every time you do Lord's Supper, the whole service has to be around the Lord's Supper and all this. I'm not, I think that's helpful a lot of times, um, but it, it doesn't just need to be a tack on. You know what I mean? No. Like, all right, here's our service. Well, and okay, I think do this now. so. Uh, there's a lot of background there to okay. that that's helpful. But like one of the things that's that's helpful to point out is the fact that in Corinthians, when people partook of the Lord's Supper wrongly, some of them died. Yeah, that's what Paul says. Yeah, there were some sin. of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And so it's a serious deal that the, I think this is where also the aspect of examining yourself before the mm-hmm. Lord's Supper is missed a lot because. Um, because this is this is one of the ironic things about different church traditions. There are church traditions that will baptize infants, but they will withhold the Lord's Supper from their children until they're teenagers. Mm. Because there's the there's this idea that there, we would differ with them on baptism, but when it comes to what does it mean to examine the body and blood of Jesus Christ, they have a much they they regard that as a much higher thing um, in those traditions. And so I think that's an element of of considering what does it mean to examine the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that we would do well to be reminded of and to take seriously, approach it with joy, but yeah. also with an appropriate solemnity, knowing that 
like what you're saying, Tim, Jesus is present spiritually here, um, reminding us of his promises. And this is a, a wonderful thing, but it's also a deeply serious thing at the same time. Yeah. So first Corinthians 11, you know, Paul's dealing with a church who was sinning in how they were doing the Lord's supper together, where they were kind of doing a ranking system. Yeah. And the rich, it seemed were getting first dibs and leaving out the poor. And so Paul's having to deal with this. Right. And, and so he does the examining of like, examine yourselves compared to your brothers and sisters. Like, are you loving them well? Are you serving them well? Are you honoring them well? Um, and that's when he says, you know, this is why some of you are sick. This is why some right. of you have died. You've taken this in vain. You've taken the Lord's Supper and you've profaned it because you don't even love the people you're with. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is who God has brought you with, this church family. And and so what what sometimes I get nervous about, though, and I think I think you're right. We need to examine ourselves when we do this. But I, I what I fear is that sometimes people then never partake of Lord's Supper because mm-hmm. they examine themselves and they're always just like, I'm a sinner. I do this wrong. And there has to be an understanding, though, of when we approach that table, we are all sinners. Right. And that's why we can partake of this right. because right. he died in our place. And so, again, I, I think there are times in a Christian's life where probably you should let it pass. Um, but it, it seems to me, and that I could be wrong, I, I, I don't have it in front of me, I haven't read it just now, but it seemed to me what Paul was dealing with was like church unity, mm-hmm. uh, right. fellowship of the brethren correctly, mm-hmm. correct fellowship right. and understanding of what. And in doing that, though, it's, sim- it's funny because he does it with baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? Mm-hmm. They were saying, oh, I, uh, they were using baptism as a point of division right? Yeah, rather right. than a point of unity Who at the very beginning. Right. And similarly... But and Paul says at the very beginning, was Christ divided? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Paul isn't crucified for you. And similarly, now they're using the Lord's Supper not as an example of grace, but as another way to exert law. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul says, you forgot about it, what it's all about. You need to examine yourselves. And, and he says that if you don't, you can eat and drink judgment on yourself. Mm-hmm. So, and he says earlier, he talks about the cup of the, uh, the, the cup that we bless. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's talking about the fact that it's, this is a this is a serious solemn thing. It makes me it reminds you of um in the in the Old Testament, to one of the things that happened whenever a covenant was transacted, um was a meal was shared, mm-hmm. and this a happens with feast. yeah. So like well when when Jacob and Laban mm-hmm. remember they make a covenant with each other. What do they oh, do? Yeah. They they break bread together. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in Exodus is it twenty four, whenever God. Break, makes his covenant with Israel, the elders representing Israel come, and it says they eat and drink with God. Mm-hmm. There's this covenantal, this relationship, this binding together of I am your God, you are my people. And it wasn't simply like saying, yeah, we're, we're eating this bread and we're, or we're, we're partaking of this meal, but God's not really here. It was, no, he's right there and you're right there. Mm-hmm. And there's this deep, intimate relationship of covenant through blood being sealed and that's what the lord's supper is yeah it's such a great reminder too of like (laughs) who we are as individuals in christ but then together yeah yeah i'm not better than anybody else like it's such a realization when you take the lord's supper i think when we do it rightly of all of us in this room are just sinners saved by grace Mm -hmm. right not of works we have nothing to boast about as it says in ephesians absolutely nothing we're all in the if it wasn't for his body, if it wasn't for his blood, mm-hmm. we're nothing, right? We're just totally separated. And so 
the work that God can do through the Lord's Supper, I think, really is is overlooked and isn't mm. seen. I mean, mm-hmm. like we talked about, church unity. When you walk out of that room together after taking Lord's Supper and you're, you're squabbling over something, I mean, that should be squashed. Right. It should just be squashed. And not because of anything the pastor said. It's just because of what it means and what you're doing there. I mean, there's a, your own personal sin. You're taking this. You should feel so guilty of your sin yeah. when you're partaking of that. So, But you know there's forgiveness there. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's just all of this wrapped up in the Lord's Supper that too often I think we just take it, we eat the bread, we drink it, and we go on our merry right. way. And we don't think about really what God is doing in this. Well, think about what Paul says, the night on which he was betrayed. Yeah. We all betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We've all abandoned him. And that's where they, these, these Corinthians, they were a bunch of know-it-alls. Yeah. And they thought they knew it all, and they were puff, puffed up with themselves. And, and Paul's reminded, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread mm-hmm. and broke it. He took a cup, and he passed it around. And instead of equalizing us up by all accomplishing some standard, we're all brought low, yeah. but mm-hmm. equal recipients mm-hmm. of the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ. But then the other side of the Lord's Supper is the looking forward, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to just get caught on the looking back, which is a great thing, right? or even the present of what he's doing. But in the Lord's Supper, we look forward to the second advent. Mm. We look forward to the day when Christ will return and, and we'll actually get to dine and sup with him, right? Mm-hmm. In glory, uh, and, and so we're just, we just wait for that day. And, and it's a good reminder as we live in this world that's chaotic and difficult and all these struggles that this isn't the end, though, for us as Christians. Right. This isn't our home. This isn't our promise, this place. Our promise is a new heavens and a new earth that God will give us. Mm-hmm. It might not be in my lifetime. I might not, I might not see it, but there is a promise that I'll be there. Right. You know, um, and so we have that. So, so again, the Lord's Supper, when we're leaving, we're not leaving depressed. We're not leaving discouraged. Right. We should be leaving unified. We should be leaving remembering who we are in Christ. But we also should be leaving with great praise and enthusiasm of what is to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this. I hope it's been helpful to you to think about baptism and the Lord's Supper as we consider its importance in the life of the local church and and our life here at uh, MMBC. So thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to talk about the Lord's Day and its significance as we move on to the next chapter of the Baptist Faith and Message. Thanks for listening. Take care, and God bless.